Welcome to the Middleway Podcast. My name is Dr. Matthew Goodman. This podcast is about seeing the world through the lens of interconnectedness. It's about recognizing our common humanity and discovering pragmatic solutions to improve well being from the individual to the collective. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome back to the Middleway Podcast. This episode on its face may be jarring, surprising, offensive. Maybe you have a number of different reactions. We're approaching the two-year anniversary of the Russia and Ukraine war. And I think it's worthwhile to take a step back and to ask, is what we're doing helpful? Is it leading us down a path towards more conflict and destruction or more peace? So I wanted to do this episode actually after watching the interview that Tucker Carlson did with Vladimir Putin. Now, you might have different thoughts and reactions to just conducting the interview itself, and I'll share my own thoughts on that. But what's clear to me is that the stance, the posture that we have towards Russia and other actors in the world as it stands today, while it may be justified, while it may be ethical or moral to take this stance, I don't believe that it's helpful. I don't believe that it's pragmatic. And I don't believe that it leads us closer to peace. So what I want to argue for here today is taking a pragmatic approach simply because it leads us closer to peace. And I believe it leads us closer to what our evolutionary potential and destiny is. I think that we're heading into an era where we'll be faced with a very crucial choice for humanity. And I think we're on the brink of that choice right now. Do we continue to defend our ideologies, which are important, or do we decide to look past our ideologies and try to find our common humanity with one another. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't or can't have different ideas. This stuff doesn't mean that different ideologies are better than others. The stance that I'm passionately pleading for is to be able just to loosen the grip on our ideologies enough to see and hear the other person or the other side, to listen. And if our ideas and ideologies are superior, then those ideas and ideologies will win out. I believe that we have to collaboratively search for deeper truth together. 
we have to be able to listen to one another, to be open enough to the possibility that the other side has some valid ideas or perspective that perhaps we're not seeing. We have to be able to recognize the human beings in, the, in our so-called enemies that we're trying to destroy. And the reality that these are our brothers and sisters who also want to be happy and healthy and to live in peace and to not suffer and to not die. And maybe they have different ideas about how to do that. But so long as we continue to create this division of us versus them, they're the enemy, they need to be destroyed, destroyed and stamped out, and then everything will be fine if we can just eradicate the enemy off the face of the earth. I don't believe that's going to work. I believe in humanity's potential. I believe that we're faced with a critical choice at this junction. And I believe in our potential to move closer to our higher purpose as human beings. So we've been told, of course, that we need to hate Russia and other countries and people. And in this episode, we'll be focusing on Russia, but Russia's can be a stand-in for other enemies around the world. We've been conditioned to see them as the enemy, at least since the Cold War. But as much as I've tried to toe the line on this in other podcast episodes... I just simply can't do that. It's not true to how I see the world. I can't see them as the enemy. All that I see are other human beings who are equally of worth, who similarly desire to be happy and healthy, and who might see the world in a very different way than we do. In reality, there's no line that separates us. The lines that we draw are conceptual. They're made up. And they divide us into us versus them. So in this sense, I'm truly saddened and grieve over what's happening in Ukraine. The loss of life of Ukrainians and the loss of life of Russians and the suffering that comes with all of that for everyone involved all across the world. I think this war is both tragic and completely unnecessary. So I'm not trying to make the case for moral relativism here. I'm not saying that all ideas and actions are of equal merit and goodness. Some are better than others, and we can fight for those things, things like freedom, democracy, human rights, all of it whatever you stand for. What I'm making the case for here is the way in which we engage with the people that we disagree with, who we have different ideas and values from. Is it better to try to beat those ideas out of people and hope that they'll adopt our way of life or to let them exist 
and basically to leave them alone. And I think the general hypothesis that we have is that if we leave people alone, then that will empower them to spread their ideas around the world than leaving us to play defense. It would be dangerous, many people think and say, for the U.S. to retreat from all of our positions around the world, to retreat from this offensive approach and just play defense, because then that would empower our so-called enemies to do the same thing, and that would make us less safe. Well, I understand that idea, and it might be true, but let's actually, in fact, look at what's happening around the world. What if, instead, the status quo approach that we're using now is making us less safe? Is it possible that playing offense actually creates the conditions for paranoia in other countries for defense of their own and for the desire for them to have the same ambitions around the world? Is it possible that trying to force people into change in our way of life is actually the mechanism that causes people to develop hate and to want to retaliate? Simple, basic fact of the universe. Every force is met with an equal and opposite force. This idea that others will want to spread their ideologies around the world is perhaps our own projection. We're the ones doing that. Everything that we're afraid of and want to prevent others from doing is exactly what we're doing. There's a phrase that has resonated with me recently in life. If you spot it, you got it. Meaning that if you see something in someone else, a flaw, some sort of deficit, something that you judge, if you spot that, most likely you got that. (laughs) And I think the same applies here. I think this is a process of maturing into adults, so to speak, developmentally, as human beings, into adults. It's this idea that (laughs) sort of reminds me of, I know you are, but what am I sort of thing. This is just projection. This is projecting our own beliefs and behaviors onto other people. Not to say that those other people wouldn't have those same ambitions and ideas an antagonistic approach without our projection. If we were to retreat, that's certainly possible. But could it actually be possible to lead by example, to actually influence people down the path of peace by example? Being a leader here, what does that look like? Can we inspire and create a sense of safety in other people? If the U.S. truly wants to lead and create peace in the world, I don't believe that we can do that by force. I think that we have to lead by the example of peace. Paranoia begets more paranoia. I think that a real, true, and mature 
leader creates stability and peace by being that thing themselves. They don't force other people to be peaceful. That's not peace. Be the change you wish to see in the world. Lead by example. Okay, so this brings us to Putin and where we are today. And what I want to focus on here mostly is this recent interview of Putin by Carlson. My general take on the interview itself is I'm not opposed to doing the interview. I know many people are. I'm generally of the view that suppressing information only leads to its unhealthy expression and manifestation somewhere else. I think we see that all around the world. We see that in our own country. As we suppress information, it just pops up in darker corners and we see its return in an ugly way. So I trust people. I trust you. I trust everyone to make up their own minds to watch something and decide for themselves. If you watch the interview, well, I'm curious to hear your takeaway from it. But generally, I think there's a few points that came up that are worthy of debate in our general culture from this interview and from the conflict more broadly. And just more broadly about how we engage with foreign enemies around the world. But first of all, initial thoughts on the interview. I, I kind of thought it was strange. So if you watched it, Putin rambled on for about 30 minutes about the history of Russia. And my initial impression around that is that he lacked some sort of self-awareness about how this would come across and really wasn't, uh, so to speak, capitalizing on the opportunity to, if he was going to propagandize to actually propagandize and to be convincing to a Western audience. I thought that this was just lacking in awareness of for rambling for 30 minutes and essentially losing people and making me want to turn off the interview. It was very boring. Uh, I think what he was saying is, you know, probably important information, but it was certainly boring. And I just thought that that was very not astute on his part. But in sort of digesting it and thinking about it, I can also see that there may be a stylistic difference between our cultures in considering what's normal conversation and that we might have different expectations around our attention span and how information is delivered and sort of used to the talk show style uh, format here in the US. But just some important key points to debate here that I will share my thoughts on. So first, and I believe most important point to debate about this conflict is this idea that Putin would continue to expand westward if we don't stop him, that he has imperialist ambitions. And if we don't pour money into 
Ukraine to support the Ukrainians and hold them back, that he would continue to expand. He would take Ukraine. He would move into Poland. He would continue to try to expand into Europe. And I think that this is just dead wrong. So first of all, he says so, but of course you wouldn't want to take him at his word, someone like him. That wouldn't be wise. But actually here, I'm going to argue that we should take him at his word, even if he's lying about that, about those intentions. And here's why. What we're doing now, funneling money into Ukraine, continuing to propagate this war, is actually not working. It's perpetuating a war that right now is essentially at a stalemate, which means that men and women are continuing to lose their life on both sides of this war. And that's simply tragic. I think about all of the Ukrainians who have left their families to fight in this war for valid and good reasons to defend their home country and who have lost their life and the wives and the children who have lost and the husbands who have lost loved ones in this war. And this is where we are today, essentially at a stalemate. When this war could have been stopped right at its beginning. Think about how many hundreds of thousands of people of lives could have been saved, how many children might have had a parent, and now they don't. And I will say more in a minute about why and evidence for why this war could have and should have been stopped right at its beginning, and we would have been in the exact same place. So what we're doing is not working. And in fact, one might argue that it's even breeding more paranoia amongst the Russian side and more ambitions to take more territory when repeatedly there have been opportunities for a compromise and to settle and to end this war. And it would have ended right there. There was an attempt at one point, this is shortly after the war began and multiple times after that, but shortly after the war began, there was an attempt to negotiate a peace agreement and to stop the war. And Russia and Ukraine, the negotiators, were extremely close to this at one point, about to sign that. And then this is on record from the negotiator from Ukraine, Boris Johnson of the UK, comes in and tells Ukraine to tear up the agreement. So why would Boris Johnson and others in the West want to perpetuate this war when it could have ended? We say that if we don't stop this, Putin will continue, but he is continuing. Why not agree for something like neutrality or Ukraine not to join NATO? Those were essentially the conditions. And if that's broken, then push back. Then say, okay, if we break this agreement, then we're going to put Western NATO boots on the ground. Why not call this bluff and say, okay, let's have peace. And then if you break that, 
then we're going to have war. But right now we just have guaranteed war. So I think in my perspective, the West backing this and behind this is truly sick. And I say that because in my perspective, we can see how many lives are being lost, how many Ukrainian lives are being lost in this war. And it makes me sick to my stomach. The possibility that this would be perpetuated for our own purposes, our own paranoia, our own desire to want to weaken Russia or to look strong to China. That's sick. Using the Ukrainians basically as bodies for doing that. Now, some people think that a negotiation, some sort of settlement, if Ukraine were to compromise on, let's say, some territory, that that would embolden Putin, that would just reinforce him and empower him to then do this again. And just like I said before, why don't we see? What we have now is him doing this again, continuing to try, continuing to defend these territories and to get more. What we're doing is leading to more conflict, more violence, more paranoia, more antagonism. Again, our own projections here. So second important point, I think, to consider around all of this is that there are contextual factors leading to this conflict this agreement after, I'm sorry, the agreement that we had after the collapse of the Soviet Union was that NATO would not expand, quote, one inch to the east. And of course, it has continued to do that. And whether or not that's justified or good or whatever, we at least have to try to see this from the perspective of, quote, the other side and that it would be seen as a provocation. So again, here, <laughs> this idea that someone else wants to expand their ambitions, that they have ambitions to expand their territory, that they're imperialistic, projection. It might be true that they do, maybe it's both, but at least we have to recognize and admit and own that also we're the ones who want to expand our territory, to make us feel more safe, to make us feel more powerful. Projection here. What if we were to take back that projection and lead in a different way? Okay, next. Putin says that the invasion of Ukraine was a defensive move, a response to an attack on Ukrainians in eastern, certain eastern parts of Ukraine who speak and who identify as Russian, and that this defense his invasion that this was defense to, quote, denazify that region. So I don't know. Maybe that's true. Maybe not. Probably not. Maybe there's more to this invasion than simply defense. Maybe it is an offensive effort. But either way, what do we want to do about this? How do we practically stop this? If we read too much into his motives 
then we're bound to see the worst possible situation. We're bound to read into the worst possible motives that he may have, which is actually leading to the worst situation right now, which is where we are, and the possible escalation of this conflict, the possibility of nuclear conflict. That's what happens when we read deeply into the motives and project the worst possible motives there. When we see someone as completely our enemy. Now, if we take him at his word, oof, that feels, that might feel pretty icky to do. Yet, it creates a possibility of a more pragmatic outcome. And that pragmatic outcome is potentially to end the war, to stop the escalation of this, of a possible World War III, East versus West war, which I don't think any of us want. So at the end of the day, I wonder what you would choose. Do we continue down the path that we're continuing down? Or do we take a more pragmatic approach if that pragmatic approach were to lead to peace? So this is just a hypothetical. If this pragmatic approach of trying to negotiate made peace, made us actually safer, made us actually happier, helps us get further away from potential nuclear destruction and more loss of life all around the world, would you take it? Would you take that deal? I know what I would do. Okay, another interesting takeaway from the interview, just kind of a sidebar, but I thought it was really interesting what Putin said about the world being split in half and drawing the analogy to the two hemispheres of the brain being split in half and saying that when the two hemispheres of the brain don't work together, we have dysfunction or disease. We have something that is not functional. And I think the same is true of the world. We cannot split the world into two sides, which is the direction that we seem to be heading now, into east versus west. That is going to create a dysfunctional world. We are truly one. It doesn't mean that we all have to be the same, that we all have to have the same systems of government or anything like that. It just means that we have to recognize that we're different parts that have to work together in order to create a functional world that is capable of reaching its higher potential. So I'm not praising the guy here or saying that he's a good guy. <clears throat> he's probably not. Actually, he might be. I don't know. But I agree with that sentiment. We have to work together or else we'll have dysfunction or disease. In the interview, Putin also pointed out or pointed to the fact that world powers, empires constantly shift over time. And this is something that is not just a made-up idea. This is something that has been borne out by data. So some of the brightest people in the world, people like Ray Dalio, and he spells this out in his book, The Changing World Order. When you look across history, you can see 
the natural rise and fall of empires. This is just the natural cycle of things. Empires rise and fall. And if you're not sure that they do, or if they can hang on forever, well, at least we can look at what are the objective indicators of the decline of empires. And if we look at those objective indicators and look at our situation right now, it's not very reassuring. Some of the objective indicators that an empire is beginning to fall or getting close to collapse is A, that there's more polarization and tension within the country, B, that the country starts to spend more resources on fighting external wars and external things versus taking those resources and allocating them towards things internally to fix itself. Well, we can see billions and billions and billions of dollars, these packages spent on war. We can see that happening. And then three, one of the, there are multiple indicators, but another one is inflation. And obviously we're experiencing that now as well. So we have to be facing the possibility that the U.S., whether we like it or not, is in some sort of decline. And I don't say that to be like overly cynical or pessimistic or that I want that for the U.S., but these are the indicators. And it's only a matter of time before the world powers shift and change. It may not be today. It may not be in five years. It may not be in 10 years. Who knows? But it's going to happen. World powers, the world empires ebb and flow rise and fall the powers change and shift and i think one of the correct things that was said by putin during that interview is the question do you want that process to be slow and smooth that shift or do you want it to be accelerated and the acceleration is potentially more chaotic and leads to more destruction and conflict and I think what we're doing now by allocating our resources outward, by perpetuating these wars, is excel actually accelerating our downfall. And I understand the motives behind this. I think as a country, if I can only guess, I can't get into the minds of everybody or those making decisions, but it seems as though we're wanting to hold on, uh, that our efforts right now are an attempt to hold on to power in the world. We see that there are other rising powers and we're saying, no, we're the U.S., we're the dominant power, and we're going to maintain that power by spreading ourselves across the world and trying to control everything and suppress the emergence of other economies and empires from rising up, people we don't like, like Russia and China. And so I can understand the motivation there to do that, but I believe that by doing that, we're actually accelerating our own decline by ignoring the internal challenges that we're facing in our own country, A, and B, by actually propagating and potentially accelerating the rise of other empires by depleting our own resources, making ourselves unsafe and encouraging other countries to not just fight back, but to want themselves to adopt the same approach that we've been using for years, which is this sort of imperialist, police the world, expand 
across the world approach. That's from our playbook. and We don't want other people doing that. Well, if we don't want other people doing that, what if instead we were to lead again through a different way, through a peaceful way? That's leadership. So what does the future of the world look like? We know that empires rise and fall. Powers change. Do we want the future powers of the world, the future empires, whether that's China or whoever it is, to play within the same paradigm as the paradigm that we've been using for the past, whatever, several hundred years. Now, in that paradigm, there continues to be this antagonism, this paranoia, except we're now potentially inferior in that, in that world. So that's one possibility, and that seems to be the paradigm that we're holding on to now. It's who's on top. But I think that a new reality for our world is possible, and that is something more like living in a multipolar world. Living living in a multipolar world means that We respect other people's borders and allow them to do what they do. And we do that not because we necessarily agree with what they do, but we do that because it actually works. It actually helps to reduce conflict, not to create more of it. And living in a multipolar world and respecting other people Again, it doesn't mean that we all share the same ideas and ideologies and even that we all hold hands and sing kumbaya together. We can still compete with one another, but that competition is competition as cooperation. And what I mean by that is competition with respect, with seeing our common humanity, that competition makes other people better because it forces them to try to outcompete us and it makes us better. Because when we're competing with China, for example, if we see them as a friendly competitor, someone that we can cooperate with but still compete with, well, them doing better means that we have to get better as well in order to continue to be competitive. So co- competition as a form of cooperation. This is living in a multipolar world. A multipolar world doesn't mean that we're all the same, that we're all one world government, one people. There's unity in diversity. We can be diverse. We can be different. But those differences also are the things that unite us and bring us together. Kind of like the United States, the idea of the United States itself. I think this is this world is a world where peace is possible, where we can still continue to push ourselves to grow and evolve as human beings in every sector of life, in technology, in science, in the humanities, all of this. 
we can still grow. We can move closer to, we can move towards our higher evolutionary potential. But doing this in a way with these elements of respect, of seeing our common humanity, of listening to one another, of trying to collectively come up with and find a deeper truth together versus just assuming that only one side is right. This is what it means to live in a multipolar world. I think if we adopt this model, it moves us closer to our spiritual destiny. If we collaborate together in search of truth, it's going to take us closer to our evolutionary potential. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Middle Way. If you find this content valuable and want to support the podcast, leaving a rating, review, or sharing the episode is hugely helpful and appreciated and helps the podcast get discovered by more people. If you have any questions, ideas, feedback, or ideas for future guests, please send an email to hello at the-middle-way.com. See you soon. Thank you.